The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. My name is Margot Landman. I am Senior Director for Education Programs at the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. Joining me today on the NCUSCR China podcast is Susan Brownell, a professor of anthropology at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, and this year a visiting professor at the Institute of Sinology, Heidelberg University. She is an internationally renowned expert on Chinese sports and the Olympic Games, and will talk today primarily about China's bid for the 2022 Winter Olympic Games. Susan, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. Not only do you study Chinese sports as an academic field, but you were the ultimate participant observer when you were an exchange student in Beijing in the 1980s. As a nationally ranked track and field athlete in the United States, you joined the Beijing Municipal College student team and participated in the 1986 Chinese National College Games and won a gold medal. What was it like as a foreigner on a Chinese team? How did the coaches and teammates treat you? How did the fans react to a foreign member of a Chinese team? It was a wonderful experience in the 1980s because at that time Chinese people were not really supposed to live together with foreigners, you know. And at Beijing University, where I'd been studying for most of the year, we were off in a separate dormitory. But as the games approached, I had the opportunity to live and train with my teammates in our two and a half month training camp. So it was really um, I, I had just an unprecedented opportunity to enter the everyday lives of my athletes, which is what the anthropological research method is supposed to be all about—ethnography. And you know, I was then already a graduate student in anthropology. So sports gave me experiences that、um, my classmates were not having at that time in the 1980s. They gave me access that other people didn't have. On the whole, I was always welcomed. I felt very little、um, hostility. Occasionally, there might have been a few competitors who thought it was a little bit unfair, you know, that there was an American on the Beijing team. But on the other hand, the other、um, Provinces and cities had been sort of illegally recruiting athletes from provincial teams into the universities who had not taken the college entrance exam, and that was not supposed to be done. And so my coaches were proud of the fact that I was actually a legitimate student at Beijing University.、Um, yeah, I had a、um, great time, although you know there was a little bit of.、Um, fear and maybe mistrust of me. I had one more、um, American teammate on the team. You know, so for example, during the college games themselves, we had to、um, eat in a different cafeteria. We had special food. Just the two of you? Just the two of us. We complained. So I think they sent up one teammate who had quirky eating habits. She was a vegetarian to keep us company.、Um, I really, we protested. Our teammates protested. They wanted us to be able to join in their merriment. You know, in the big、um, cafeteria downstairs. I, I think actually the reason was. They just wanted to be really, really careful. We didn't get food poisoning or something else. <laughs> so, <laughs>、uh-huh. yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it was just such a wonderful experience that then I decided to use that as the basis of my PhD dissertation and my first book. And really, I've been studying Chinese sports ever since then. 
So sports really chose me as a research topic rather than the other way around. A lot has changed in China since the 1980s, including in the world of international sports and China's role in it. Could you take us through China's two bids for the Summer Olympics, the first in 1993 for the 2000 Games, which failed, and the second in 2001 for the 2008 Games, which was successful? What explains the failure the first time and the success the second? Yeah, well, when I first started started studying Chinese sports in the 80s, people would ask me why, and that was true both inside and outside China. Chinese people would say, you're from America, it's a sports power, our sports are terrible, why would you want to study us? And even my academic colleagues would sort of ask why. Um, But, you know, already at that time you could see the um, commitment of the central government towards medal winning, and, of course, we've already had ping-pong diplomacy, so it was, you know, a really important um, arena for international relations. And that was why I chose the topic. And then um, Chinese sports really did start to grow in the public eye in the West with the first bid for the Olympic Games, which was in 1993. So, I mean, already at that point, that was the bid for the 2000 Games, which ultimately Sydney um, won, just barely, with um, Sydney beat out Beijing, Uh, by only two votes, and it later was revealed that there were two um, IOC members from African countries who had been offered rather large um, supplements for their National Olympic Committees the night before the bid was decided. Mm -hmm. So if you want to ask why did Beijing not win in 1993, really it was probably something, which actually was legal then, but it was like bribery on the part of Australia. Hmm. Um, That said, it wouldn't have been that close if it were not so close on the heels of the 1989 Tiananmen incident. So that was um, really part of what was going on. Um, The Western majority on the International Olympic Committee, I think, was not really quite ready to um, embrace China with open arms in 1993. What did the 2008 Games mean for China, both the government slash party and the people? They meant a lot. Uh, I mean, in China, the hosting of the 2008 Games is known as China's, uh, the realization of China's 100-year dream, because it had been in 1907 that the first call, published call, was made by YMCA, Educated Chinese, um, that China should host the Olympic Games to symbolize that it had taken its place among the strong nations of the world. So it was literally a 100 years later before that dream was realized. And Chairman Mao had expressed interest in hosting Olympic Games. Deng Xiaoping, after him, Jiang Zemin, finally presided over the successful bid. Hu Jintao presided over the successful Games. And now his successor, Xi Jinping, is presiding over yet another bid. So I think you can really see it was the highest levels of Chinese leadership, actually, that um, were pressing this all along. But I think there was also a high level of popular support, too. So now that gets us very neatly to the bid for 2022. Given that northern China, the area around Beijing, doesn't have much snow or particularly tall mountains for skiing events, it seems like an unlikely locale for the games. Why is China bidding for it, for them? 
Well, China has actually been thinking about bidding for a Winter Games for a long time, but I think everybody always thought it was going to be in the Northeast and centered around Harbin. Uh, perhaps it was the case that having done, having really done um, an Olympic Games, a Summer Games, they had a little bit more of an appreciation of the difficulties, and they might have looked at Harbin and thought. You know, it doesn't have the huge arenas that you need for figure skating and hockey and those sports. And Beijing has them, and Beijing has the organizational capacity and um, can very easily, you know, jump into the arena-based part of the competition. So then, that being the case, all you need is a place to hold, you know, the extra events, the skiing. And I, I guess that's I, I have no inside, you know, information on that, but I guess that's the the way the reasoning went. I, I really don't think that um, this bid meant all that much to Chinese leaders. I think they were slightly reluctant bidders. I think, um, you know, just because they'd expressed interest in Winter Games for a while, they got some encouragement from inside the IOC, just sort of saying, "Ah, oh, come on, why don't you at least, you know, put forward a bid?" I don't think they thought they would be a front runner as they have now sort of ended up being. So that that part of it is maybe a little surprise, and you know, I think that. Beijing was China's coming out party. They put everything into that, and they they did it. They did it well. They came out. They're now out there on the world stage, and so I think they really have a lot less to prove, you know, with this particular bid. Uh-huh. We talk about China wanting the games, so that's official China or parts of official China. What about the Chinese people? <coughs> Excuse me. When American cities, for example, have bid for the games lately, <clears throat> some of the citizenry has taken a distinctly dim view of the prospect. Is that also the case in China, particularly after 2008, when a, some of the venues, the water cube and so on, have basically been sitting there unused? Is there any opposition to the 2022 bid, if there were, would people be willing to express it? Well, after Beijing, and you have to remember that two years later, Shanghai hosted what was, depending on how you measure it, um, the world's other biggest ever um, mega event in human history. So there was definitely a kind of weariness that you heard and a lot of jokes, you know, from the populace about, um, yeah, Olympic dizziness, which is a pun, Ao Yun. Olympic dizziness, Olympic games, and um, so th- there's been a, a lot of uh, that kind of sentiment that you just hear people expressing that we're tired, we've done it, our government likes to do these big events, we don't need to do it again, we don't want to do it again. You know, on the other hand, um, legitimate public opinion polls of the nature that we have in the West are required by the IOC of host cities, and there was one that was done for this bid, a 32-city poll, which showed a 95% um, support rate. Wow. You know, China, and, and this was, um, it was even higher, uh, the poll that was done by Gallup um, for the bid for the 2008 game showed a 96% support rate, which is the highest ever recorded. So when, when you do public opinion polls, you, you come up with these incredibly high support rates. And, you know, ironically, what had already shuttled, uh, scuttled the bids of some of China's early competitors, um, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Poland, and finally Oslo sort of withdrew along the way because their opinion polls were showing, you know, 70% negative rates. Right. So, um, you know, 
these are the same companies, Gallup, doing the same polls. Now, you know, why would you um, get such high support rates in China when on the street you hear a little bit of this weariness? Um, I, I Maybe it does come down to the fact that when the government is really um, pushing a project, there's a certain patriotism that motivates the public to give a positive answer, perhaps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you mentioned earlier that Perhaps part of the issue in 93 was that at least the Western world hadn't gotten over 1989 Tiananmen. Now, since Xi Jinping has taken office in 2012, there's been a noticeable tightening in uh, civil society, rights lawyers being arrested and most recently the feminist activists being detained, talk of the dangers of Western influence, bans on Western textbooks. Do you think that these things might jeopardize the bid for the games? Or does Beijing have it sewn up because the only other option is <laughs> Almaty? <laughs> Kazakhstan. Well, that is actually you know a consideration. But I think the answer to your question, quite frankly, is no. And the reason is that the bid is decided by the International Olympic Committee, um, a a body of 105 um, self-selecting members, of whom a little over half are from Europe, but a little under half are from developing countries for whom China may actually be a positive model. And many of those countries probably have human rights situations on the ground that are worse than China. So I think for the IOC, actually, these kinds of issues are not really major issues. I don't think they're particularly swayed by the um, advocacy groups, um, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, Reporters Without Borders. I mean, these groups definitely use the Olympic Games as a platform to promote their own agendas, and um, if you sort of hear IOC members talking about it, they get... They actually get a little hostile, like the more vocal that kind of um, criticism is, the more they want to stick to what they believe in, which is, and, you know, many of them sincerely believe that sport has the power to change the world for good. Now, you can argue that they're deluded, but, (laughs) or not, but that's what they believe. So, you know, in the face of this kind of criticism, sometimes it makes them even more stubborn to hold on to what they believe in. Mm -hmm. This gets us away a little bit from China, but why do you think that more countries aren't interested in hosting? And does this suggest that the Olympic movement itself, or perhaps the Winter Games, may be in some sort of trouble? To have only two real bidders is kind of amazing. I think the last time there was some, yeah, fewer than three was when Los Angeles was the only bidder for the 1984 Summer Summer. Games in the wake of the boycotts and the Moscow Games. So, yeah, you know, it depends on how you look at it. Um, There's also now an ongoing bid. um, The the bid process for the next uh, Summer Olympic Games is starting up. That that would be the... um, 
2024 Summer Games. And there are currently plenty of candidates, and most of them are from the very same countries that, like Germany, for example, that had negative public referenda on bidding for the Winter Games. And then they turn around and they try to go for the Summer Games. So, so far, at least, the um, Summer Games seem healthy with a lot of potential bidding cities. It seems like in this round, the Winter Games were really the problem. And maybe it was just a, a weird moment in political history when a lot of uh, politicians in a lot of um, European countries were picking up this issue as a way of making their own political points. Like, we are for um, cutting back on government spending. And, you know, so using, using the um, excessive costs, supposed excessive costs of the Olympic Games um, to promote their own vision of less spending. Uh, there, there was a lot of, you know, the current tenor of the times politically in Europe got wrapped up in the whole thing. You know, that said, uh, there are definitely people who think the Olymp Olympic movement is in crisis and they, they are not confident that many cities will want to host games in the because future. Because of the cost? With Sochi and Beijing, were pretty expensive. You know, in, in my... Um, presentation, I'm going to analyze that issue a little bit. Yes, the huge costs are intimidating people. But the truth of the matter, I think, is that actually in this 21st century economy, the developing countries of the world actually can easily afford Olympic Games, even summer games. Mm -hmm. It's not that the money's not there. The question is, where do they choose to spend it? And if they want to spend it on Olympic Games, can they get the public behind them? Now, you said in developing countries. I'm sorry, did I? Uh, the developed countries, the wealth is there, and then in these um, developing countries, too, that are on the way up, like China, Kazakhstan, Russia, um, yeah. Um, and then there's the Middle East, you know, the oil money there, and they would love to host um, a number of summer Why? games and Wouldn't maybe even winter games. Die of the heat? Yeah, that's a little games? bit of has <laughs> been... <laughs> But, you know, Qatar is um, scheduled to host the FIFA World Cup, the Soccer World Cup. And, um, you know, so we'll, we'll see. We'll and there, uh, you know, is, I'm not quite sure if it's Qatar or which country had actually proposed to host a winter games. Everything would be held indoors, you know, including indoor ski slopes. Well, there's something <laughs> to contemplate. Right. We've yeah. come to the end of our time. Thank you very much for talking with me. Well, thank you for inviting me.